When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm super psyched for this one. Yeah, this is a serious episode we got cooking here. All right, should we do it? Let's do it. Welcome to the age-old question. I'm Rich Price. And I'm Clint Bierman. And on this podcast, we explore questions that people have been debating for ages. Questions about music. And life. We're songwriters, musicians, music fans. And in the 25 years we've been friends, we've been practitioners of the unanswerable. But today, we'll delve into a new question, and we'll talk to some smart people. And we'll come up with the answer. Okay, Clint. What's today's question? Today's question is, what is the best cover version of a song? That's the age-old question. It happens sometimes in music that an artist can write a song that's full brilliance is only realized by someone else. That is, sometimes it takes another artist to reveal a song's true genius. Today, we get to talk about some of the greatest cover versions in music history. Covers that have, in fact, become the definitive versions of those songs. It's part tribute, part tributary, to discovering something even more compelling and essential than the original. Clint, start us off. What's your nominee right off the bat? My biggest nominee is Twist and Shout by the Beatles. That's a good one. That's a cover. I mean, my kids don't know that's a cover, and they love the Beatles. First recorded by the Isley Brothers. But as you say, the definitive version of that song is the Beatles. The thing I love about their version of the song is the story behind the recording of that song. Do you know this story? I do, and I exactly why I love it. Go ahead, you tell it. Okay, so the Beatles recorded that song for the album Please Please Me, and they recorded that whole album in a single day. George Martin, the band's producer, basically set up some mics and told them to play their set list from the Cavern Club. And they got to the studio... Uh, which was then called EMI Studio, later obviously became Abbey Road Studio, at 10 a.m. on Monday, February 11th. At 10.30 p.m., they started in on their last tune of the day, which was Twist and Shout. Now, George Martin saved Twist and Shout for the last song because John had a cold and knew that he might shred his vocals by singing the song because he really had to yell to sing that song. So the version that we all know is the first take. This is after almost 13 hours of recording. Mark Lewison, the legendary Beatles historian, wrote that there can scarcely have been 585 more productive minutes in the history of recorded music. 
<laughs> What's incredible is that this song is the end of that 585 minutes of recording. Just before recording that song, John sucked on some throat lozenges, gargled some milk for some reason, and took his shirt off. So when you hear this song, picture John shirtless belting this out after an exhausting day. Incredible. The greatest rock I, vocal ever. It's so good. What I've always thought about this is that because they knew they had probably one take before John's voice went, the pressure on Paul and George on those background vocals. Right. Don't screw up, man. Don't screw up. Yeah, no overdubs. Interestingly, the Isley Brothers version is, is very similar to the version that we know. Okay, here's the Isley Brothers. Yeah. Very simple. Yeah. That version definitely has some more soul to it, right? Yeah, definitely. And it's slower. It's a little slower, yeah. yeah. Okay, staying with the Beatles. But this time, it's one of their songs, but covered by someone else. The Lennon-McCartney song, With a Little Help from My Friends. What would you think if I sang out a tune? Would you stand up and walk out on me? First appeared, of course, as the second song on Sgt. Pepper, which came out in May of 1967. The, the melody was intentionally written to have a limited range of notes, for Ringo's sake. And it's a classic Beatles song, and it's hard for us to pick a Beatles song not by the Beatles. But I do think the more definitive version of the song is actually Joe Cocker's version. Cocker turns the song from 4-4 time into 6-8 time. Jimmy Page on guitar... He had a number one hit with this version, and, it, and his performance of the song is an iconic scene in the documentary film of Woodstock. Oh, yeah. I sort of feel like Joe Cocker's version is the more definitive. I would agree with you. I think, I mean, Ringo versus Joe Cocker. I don't know. I feel like Cocker's got him. <laughs> um, at singing, anyway. At singing, not at drumming. <laughs> it's funny how the visual of that Woodstock movie sticks with me so much with that version of that song. His weird flailing yeah, of arms. totally. And, and the iconic versions of songs sometimes are matched with video in my brain. Don't you think it's interesting, Clint, that he changed it to 6-8? Like, can you think of another example of a song that is so iconic one way and then someone covers it and changes the time signature? The only other one I know is Dreams which was the Allman Brothers song, hmm. is in 6-8. Just one more morning I had to wake up with the blue And the Molly Hatchet version is in 4-4. Four, four. Just one more morning I had to wake up with the blues And it's awesome. Hmm. So awesome. But that's the only other version I can think of, of a song that is in a different time signature. Let's listen to Help From My Friends. Here's Joe's. Yeah, go ahead. 
he really makes you wait for the vocal yeah. to come in. It's really it's it's it drops way down. There's so much more space and air in this track than in the Beatles version. What would you do if I sang out of tune? Would you stand up and walk And the six eight, it feels different. It's it's and that's Jimmy Page on guitar. Wow. I didn't know it was Jimmy Page. That's amazing. I, I didn't, until I started reading about this, I didn't know that either. Wow. That's a good one. Joe Cocker released this the year after? Yes. So I found in doing a lot of research, a lot of these definitive versions come the year after the song was released. And I'm sure we're going we're gonna to find that. As we that continue. is interesting. Yeah, you don't really see that in popular music today, where like a song is covered so quickly after the after the original. That's still touring. That's still touring. Both bands were still touring the same song, but now that I can't even think of it. Maybe, well, not I mean, Wagon Wheel. Maybe an example of that where Bob Dylan wrote it. Right. Old Crow Medicine Show popularized it, at least in the modern sense. But then Darius Rucker. Took it to number one. Wagon Wheel, that's a great, almost like an asterisk yep. for this conversation, right? Because as you say, the chorus was like a scrap of a song that Bob Dylan had written and discarded, and it ended up on some bootleg. And then the principal songwriter for Old Crow Medicine Show, Catch Seeker. That's not a real name. Is that how you (laughs) pronounce his name? So he heard that song on like some forgotten bootleg. And so he wrote the verses. So it was a co-write, but that spanned 25, 30 years. Yeah. Wow. I didn't realize that. That's incredible. Headed down south to the land of the pines. I'm thumbing my way to North Carolina. Staring up the road and pray to God I see headlights. But as you say, then Darius Rucker really gave this song a shot in the arm and put it in the broader consciousness. So there's like two different ways cover songs are done. The first way is like a faithful rendition of the original, yes. right? Where you're you're taking that song, you're keeping the same genre, you're keeping the same feel. Might be a slightly different tempo, maybe a different key, but essentially you're you're being faithful to that original rendition of the song. Yes. The other way to do the cover song is by completely upending the song. Like we were saying, with with a little help from my friends, changing the time signature, adding guitar riffs that weren't in the original, really making it your own. Right. So for and a perfect example of that is Red Red Wine. So good. By UB40, which is taking Neil Diamond's song and making it reggae. And for a lot of people, they don't know that Neil Diamond wrote that song. They think that's a UB40 song, even though UB40 is a cover band, essentially. Um but they don't know that because the definitive version of that song is UB40. 
Let's listen to Neil's version. Red, red wine Go to my It's it's it's, it's, it's it's hard it's hard not to hear like you'll be a woman soon. Oh yeah, and, or every other Neil Tyson. Every other Neil. <laughs> you're like so you're doing it wrong, Neil. Like so you say that most people don't know that's a Neil Diamond song. They think it's a UB40 song. I mean, I would say. What's so. funny is that UB40 didn't know it was a Neil Diamond song. <laughs> they knew a version by a guy named Tony Tribe and. They apparently thought that the N diamond on the on the album artwork was some Jamaican dude. And so their version is actually basically a cover of Tony Tribe's version. Let's listen to Tony Tribe's version. Red, red wine. And and here's UB40's version. to say i love ub40 <laughs> of course you do so do i <laughs> you know who doesn't love ub40 jeff I simons bet, i bet jeff simons doesn't like ub40 <laughs> i can't wait <laughs> another song of theirs that's hugely successful and might be at least for a certain generation the more definitive version is i got you babe you know, they did it yeah. They did it with Chrissy Hind of The Pretenders. Interesting. And the other one is that Elvis song. Oh, yeah. Fall, Can't Help Falling in Love. Right, right. Which is co- when you cover someone else's cover version. Right. And make that popular. Boy, I think, I think one of the points that I want to make for this episode. Yeah. When you have a great song, it transcends genre. It transcends time, era. It can be done in any way and can translate the emotion of that song in whatever medium you put it in. So, all right, give me another one, Rich. What do you got? So we were just on UB40. I want to stay with reggae for a second. And the song, I Shot the Sheriff, is a tune that really helped drive reggae to the top of cultural awareness, thanks in part to Eric Clapton's version of the song. So it was written, of course, by Bob Marley, released February 1973. I love the concept of this song, Clint, where Bob is saying, yeah, I shot the sheriff, but I didn't shoot the deputy. (laughs) (laughs) Like he's he's getting harassed for shooting the deputy. Right. But he's like, no, I I shot the sheriff. That is not the issue, man. (laughs) I did shoot the sheriff. Yeah. So that's... Clapton heard the song from one of his bandmates, and that bandmate suggested he do a version of it, which he did for his album 461 Ocean Boulevard, which was released in 1974. Again, the year after Bob Marley's version. Aha. Uh-huh. Amazingly, this is Clapton's only number one. Isn't that wow. crazy? That is crazy. Remember, not even Tears in Heaven? So Tears in Heaven peaked at number two. Ah. Last week, we talked about Paul Simon's 50 Ways being the only number one hit of his solo career. 
Right. And here's another sort of baffling example of that. Now, I'm not necessarily suggesting Clapton's version is better, but I think it's significant because of the boost that Clapton's version did for Marley and for reggae as a genre, exposing it to a rock audience. Totally. Let's hear Let's it. listen. Here's Eric's. I shot the sheriff, but I did not shoot the deputy. I shot the sheriff, but I didn't shoot the deputy. It's interesting because it still has some of that reggae it does. ska to it, but it's definitely more like rock funk. Yeah, more, yeah. But pretty similar, actually. I was, yeah. I've forgotten how similar they they are. Right. Slightly different. I mean, that's an awesome one. Another example of what you just said about a number one hit, "Blinded by the Light." You know Manfred Mann's version of "Blinded by the Light." Yes. Which is. Blinded by the light, wrapped up like a deuce, another runner in the night. That is a cover of a Bruce Springsteen song. And that is Bruce Springsteen's only number one hit. No kidding. Of his whole career. Was by someone else covering his song. Wow. Here's the Springsteen version. Madman drummers, bombers, and Indians in the summer with a teenage diplomat. In the dumps with the mumps as the adolescent pumps his way into his hat. With a boulder on my shoulder. It doesn't even start with the chorus. So good, though. Interesting. Right? That's like, interesting, right? Like, one version became a big hit. Started with the chorus. Started Whoa. with the chorus. Never noticed that till right now. That's incredible. And also, that, the other thing, even like I Shot the Sheriff, they're slightly different melodic choices, right? Right. Go a long way. Licks and melodic lines, whether sung or just played by an instrument, those are choices that aren't dependent on the songwriting. With a little help from my friend, that guitar part that Jimmy Page is playing in the Joe Cocker version, that's not in the original song. So that's like, that's a production choice to add to that version of the song. So that's it's, right. it's cool. So going back to Clapton for a second, he has some of my favorite covers. And I want to talk quickly about three of them. The first, After Midnight, written by J.J. Cale. It was written by J.J. Cale in 1966. Clapton did his version uh, for his first solo album in 1970. Clapton's version is considerably faster. But it's a great example, Clint, of what you're talking about. Here's this amazing artist and songwriter, J.J. Cale, whose versions were 
I guess, too raw for commercial success. Huh. And he was basically dirt poor until Clapton came along. Let's listen to JJ's version of After Midnight. Oh, it's so cool. After midnight, we're going to let it all hang out. After midnight, we're gonna turn up and shine. We're gonna cause talk and suspicion. Give an exhibition. Find out what it is. I mean, it's so slinky, right? Oh, it's that's so JJ Kale. I mean, it's so, so slinky. And then here's Eric Clapton's After Midnight. After midnight, we're gonna let it all hang down. I mean, talk I about think, cocaine. After midnight, <laughs> Eric Clapton is doing cocaine. That's what I was. Yeah, Jesus. And, and so here's JJ Kale's version of cocaine. And here's uh, here's Clapton's version of cocaine. If you wanna hang out, you got to take her out, cocaine. If you wanna get down, down on the ground, cocaine. pretty tr- pretty true to the original. Pretty true, but but slicker. Right, right. Not so greasy. Like JJ Kills is so like uncontrived or I don't even know how to describe it. It's just so raw. And then Clapton's, and they're both awesome, but Clapton's is definitely more produced. Yes. All right. So just finishing Clapton here, the last song I want to talk about is actually a cover of himself. So when MTV Unplugged came out in 1992, it included two hits. The first was Tears in Heaven, which we talked about in episode four. The second was a version of Layla. Now, Layla first came out with Derek and the Dominoes. That was a band he formed in 1970. The band only produced one album, and that was Layla and other assorted love songs. That was a huge record for me in high school, Clint. Did you, yeah. Was that big for you as well? And not in high school, but I got there, yeah. The band included legendary guitarist Dwayne Allman of the Allman Brothers. So Clapton and Allman in one band. Guitar gods. But back to Layla. The song was about Clapton falling in love with George Harrison's wife, Patty, which we discussed in episode two. The song is one of Clapton's great rock songs. iconic right and epic that guitar riff is one of the most iconic riffs in rock and roll and doesn't even show up in the the other version he totally reinvents the song as an acoustic song it's like he's covering himself and reinventing the song completely says see if you can spot this one see if you can spot this one (laughs) 
By the way, MTV Unplugged is one of the best-selling live albums of all time, and it's Clapton's best-selling by a huge margin, selling 26 million copies worldwide. He won the Grammy for Best Rock Song in 1992. Let's hear, let's hear Clapton's version. What will you do when you get lonely? No one waiting by your side. You've been wrong, hiding much too long. You know it's just your foolish mind. Definitely is covering himself, but doing it in a UB40 way. Right. Like totally changing the whole thing. All right. What else you got? Well, one of the greatest covers ever has to be Janis Joplin doing Bobby McGee. Yes. I mean, that's a definitive version of that song, and a lot of people have covered that song. And it's written by Chris Christopherson. Busted flat and batten rouge and heading for the trains Feeling nearly faded as my jeans Bobby thumbed a diesel down it's funny how sometimes, like you were saying at the very beginning, Rich, how sometimes people will write a song that wasn't meant for them. I think this is a perfect example of that. Yes. No one can send it like Janice. Well, and you're right. Like, most people, I think, associate that song with Janice's version. Definitely. Freedom is just another word for nothing left to lose. Nothing. I mean, nothing, honey, if it ain't free. Okay. In January 1982, English synth pop duo Soft Cell released a song <laughs> called Say Hello and Wave Goodbye. Listening to the song, I would say it's unremarkable. Let's listen. Standing in the door of the pink flamingo, crying in the rain. It was a kind of so, so love, and I'm gonna make sure it never happens again. Like, if I heard that song, I would quickly forget it. Or change the channel, yeah. Or change the channel, <laughs> which is why I want to nominate the version by David Gray. Yeah. His version of the song is on the album White Ladder. I put that album in my top five albums of all time. As would I. So White Ladder is David Gray's fourth studio album. And this was the fifth single from this record. And it's the only cover of the 10-song album. And it's by Soft Cell? Soft Cell. I think we should actually do an entire episode on what makes this record so important for us. Absolutely. Standing at the door of the pink flamingo crying in the rain It was a kind of so, so love And I'm gonna make sure it doesn't happen again But I don't have much to say about this song other than I love everything about it, including the nod at the end to Van Morrison in the outro section when, yeah. when he, he covers a little bit of Into the Mystic. Yeah, love that. We I mean, it's just... It's so different. <laughs> yeah. It's so interesting. It's the same lyrics. Same melody. I mean, And yet, one is 
a masterpiece in a way, and the other is something I would change the channel on. Production. Production. Vocals. David Gray's voice is just like so intriguing. Like it just totally. sucks you right in. Soft Cell, huh? Soft Cell. Do you know what Soft Cell's biggest hit was? No. Tainted Love. Which which is a cover. Which is a cover. <laughs> Interessante. Yeah. It's all coming together here. A big constant in Hollywood is the remake, which is the movie equivalent of a cover song, right? Totally. So which movie remakes are better than the originals? I've got four nominees, and I want to see if you can name them, Clint. You ready? Yep. All right. You proved your point. You broke into my vault. Congratulations. You're a dead man. Oh, yeah. What is that? Oh, God, I know that. What is it? So the original of this movie starred the Rat Pack. Frank Sinatra, Ocean's Eleven. Ah. Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Sammy Davis Jr., Peter Lawford, Joey Bishop. That was the Rat Pack. They made that film in 1960, and it's a film about a heist of a Las Vegas casino. And it's okay. But the remake in 2001, starring George Clooney and Brad Pitt, Julia Roberts, Matt Damon, Elliot Gould, and others, robbing Andy Garcia's casino. I really like this movie. Do you? I loved that movie. Absolutely. Okay, I got another one for you. I would ask you if you could remain emotionally detached. But I don't think that's your problem, is it, Bond? No. A Bond? So that's from Casino Royale, which is uh-huh. the first of the Daniel Craig Bond films. Okay. And it resurrected that whole franchise. But it was a remake of a 1967 film of the same name, which was based on Ian Fleming's novel, Casino Royale. And it's one of the best Bond films of the whole lot, and I think it was the 21st in the series. I, wow. I love that movie. I never saw it. All right, here's another one that I think you'll get. Uh, all right, here, here it is. Brecht? We have wonderful news. Diana and I are going to be married. And we are all going to live in Palm Beach. Excuse me. May I go to the bathroom first? Of course you may. Thank you. (gasps) Do you know it? I don't know it. No, I I don't know it. What is it? (laughs) I love this movie. It's Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Oh, right. I never saw it. I don't think I ever saw it. Oh, Oh, Clint, put... Put this on your list. Steve Martin, Michael Caine. Uh, it's a film from 1988, and it's a remake of a Marlon Brando, David Niven film called Bedtime Story. Huh. Speaking of David Niven, he played Bond in the original Casino Royale. So There's a thread. But, oh, my God, I absolutely love Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. <laughs> All right. I got, it's on my list. All right. Here's the last of the remakes here. Ain't it hard keeping it so hard The me? Yeah. Stars born. You just write that now? Yeah. It's pretty good. Did you like this one? I loved it. I didn't see any of the other three. This is the fourth one, right? Yeah. 1937, 1954, and then the Barbara Streisand, Chris Christopherson version from 1976. I loved A Star is Born. Love it. Tell me something, boy. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? I'm falling In all the good times I find myself longing for 
So those are four great covers, covers from Hollywood. That's interesting. Let's call somebody. Oh, my God. Of course we should call somebody. Who are we going to call? Let's call Greg Naughton. All right, let's call him up. Hello, Greg. It's Rich, and you got Clint Beerman on the line. Rich who? Hello, Gregory. Well, this is so fun because we've had your wife on this podcast, but we've never had you on this podcast. So welcome That's to the true. age-old question. It is my great honor and pleasure to be here. Let me quickly introduce you. You are one of my best friends, and you are a bandmate of mine in The Sweet Remains. You are a great performer of covers. Uh, you're, very, her. you're good at it. So, Greg, best cover versions of a song. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, I, uh, I love this question, guys. I'm a big fan of the show, as you know. I've told you. I've thought about this a lot. We've had these conversations, I think, Rich, over the years, like in the band. But this really got the juices flowing, got me thinking about really what makes a great cover, what might be the best covers of all time, what makes a really successful cover of a, of a great song. And it seems to me like it's the combo of a great songwriter who may not be the greatest singer or musician and someone who is those things. Uh, so like Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan, not to shit on their singing, but they seem to be great examples of people who have served up tons of career makers for other artists. Mm. Um, yeah. In fact, like the most successful hit versions of many of their songs are actually other artists. Uh, even Dylan, like Dylan's Mr. Tambourine Man. Hey, Mr. Tambourine Man, play a song for me. I'm not sleepy and there is no place I'm going to. I think it's one of his first big hits, but it actually was a bigger hit by the Birds. He, re he recorded and released it, I think, in 65. And like a month later or something, the Birds covered it. And their version went to number one and is probably the version that most everybody thinks of when they sing it. They also interestingly cut the songs down because um, Dylan's version, I think, was four verses and the birds made it like a tighter hit friendly three verser and of course jeff buckley's version of hallelujah hmm. and likewise i think buckley cut like i don't know he may have cut 20 verses. verses yeah because <laughs> leonard cohen's version of that song which i can't listen to now i've heard there was a secret chord that david played and it pleased the lord but you don't really care for music he had tons of different versions of verses and stuff. And I think also Buckley added sort of a musical bridge of sorts to it, really highlighted how gorgeous that song is. The beauty in the moonlight overthrew you. She tied you to a kitchen chair. She broke your throat and she cut your hair. And from your lips she drew the hallelujah. Oh, side note, by the way. 1993-ish. I'm just left Middlebury College. I'm in New York City. Uh, catering was the main way to make money if you're a struggling artist in the city. And I'm catering with this guy. Uh, we do like a few days a week lunches at some, one of these sort of like Asia house up on the Upper East Side where we did these lunches for a bunch of diplomats or, or people. And and so one day I come and go, hey, Mick, uh, what's, what's going on, man? Who are you working with? I knew he was a bass player. 
He said, you know, I just started working with a new guy. Uh, his name is uh, Jeff Buckley. I said, oh, cool. Uh, any good? He said, I think so. Love is not a victory march. It's a call and it's a broken Wow. So that turned out to be Mick Grandaw, who is the bassist on Grace and all, really, virtually all the recordings that exist of uh, Jeff Buckley. And Jeff Buckley did tons of covers, right? Like he he did Zeppelin covers. Like I don't think he wrote much material. I don't right? think he really started that way. He was yeah. he started off like doing all kinds of cover stuff. He even right. was covering his dad's stuff, where I think were some of the first things he ever did. Yeah. What are some other uh, covers that you've been thinking about? Well, you know, it's funny, too, because you think about uncoverable artists, which is this other basket of people. I think of like Stevie Wonder, Van Morrison, Joni Mitchell, who have totally been covered like crazy. But their versions of their songs remain sort of the iconic versions, I think, just because they're such great singers and performers. Right. Uh, Robert Plant, you know? maybe among them Robert as well. Plan, yeah. You know what I found out doing this research is that Superstition by Stevie Wonder yeah. was released first by Jeff Beck. Really? Yep. So he wrote, Stevie wrote the song and gave it to Jeff Beck as a thank you for recording on his album. I didn't know that. And he released it and then Barry Gordy, whoever's in charge, was like, wait a minute, Stevie, you got to re release this song. So if the history of Superstition is it came out first with Jeff Beck, and it's such an interesting version. So technically, so, Stevie's yeah, is the cover. Covering himself. He's covering himself. Very That's very cool. I, I actually... Um, I think it was like a whole subset of shows you guys could do here. Like, what's the best Stevie Wonder cover? Oh, yeah. What's the best Van Morrison cover? What's the best Joni Mitchell cover? Stevie, there's just so few that I would put on a par with his own versions. Right. Gangster's Paradise sort of jumps to mind just because it's it so reinvented the song. Yes. Right. You know? I have a question for you two. Yeah. So you guys have been in a band together for 15 years. Or well, I think we've been playing together at least that long. Okay. So you guys have covered a couple songs over your day. Hmm. What is your criteria when you're choosing a cover? Specifically, I'm thinking of So Lonely. When you're an original band and you decide to do a cover, how do you go about choosing which cover is going to define you as a band? For my money, you've, you've got to recreate the song, reinvent it, and have a sort of reason to bring it out into the world again. You know what I mean? Totally. Uh, whatever that is. And, and for us, I think one of the things we do, a version of um, So Lonely of the Police, that was really the first song we ever played together. And making it into a three-voice version was sort of its reason and to exist and inspired us to be a band, really. Mm -hmm. And it was, so, you know, it was it was a good uh, song for us. We knew it. It's four chords. The whole song. Right. It was it was right. sort of the the lowest barrier to entry uh, for a for a cover song, and and it just worked out that you know there's four lines to the verse. Each of us would take a line, and then the fourth line would be you know three part harmonies. Mm -hmm. 
someone told me yesterday, yeah. That when you throw your love away, you act as if you just don't care. You look as if you're going somewhere. I bet you a ton of bands have sort of been founded that same way where it's, you know, some guys at a party or late night in a, yeah, and they just jam it. Well, that's, that's pretty good, guys. And sitting nurse this broken heart. So lonely, so lonely, so lonely, so lonely. You know, that's right. certainly the way that uh, we were born. And yeah. here's another question. You get a lot of comparison to Crosby, Stills & Nash, obviously with a three-part harmony. Have you ever covered a Crosby, Stills, and Well, that's a good question because I think Greg, you feel like it's too on the nose to to do CSM. I do. I do. I feel like I mean we do we've done them because it's so fun and, and satisfying to sure. sing those harmonies, and we're such fans of the music. But I don't know that releasing one makes sense because you know, what are you going to do with it? We're, we're three we're three guys singing three-part harmony. It's not like we can reinvent the song. It's getting to the point where I'm no fun anymore. I am sorry. Sometimes it hurts so badly I must cry out loud. I am lonely. I would put them in a category of uh, uncoverable uh, artists if you are a trio. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, it reminds me of the um, the Weezer version of Africa that just yeah. came out. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, interesting because it's exact replica, but I guess that whole recording was so interesting and unique that it was just interesting that he recreated everything. Right. right. Yeah. And he had a big hit with it. Right. This sort of brings me to an artist that I know Rich is going to be excited about. I know you are too. And I've been thinking about Mr. Paul Simon, mm. who in this context, I think is a really interesting case because he's definitely, you know, whenever we've done those late night top 10 artists of all time, he's right in there in the top five. Yep. Uh, you know, and along with Dylan and, Certainly, he's got more great songs to cover and that have been covered than Leonard Cohen or many of these greatest artists. But his versions of his songs are pretty much the ones that have stuck as the best, even though he's, I would put him somewhere in the middle. He's not obviously, he's a, he's a, he's a very competent, beautiful sounding, nice voice, but he's not a great singer. And the question that I was thinking about as I'm looking at this is, if he hadn't partnered with Art Garfunkel back in the day, who is an exceptional singer and created a very unique sound for them, would his versions of those early songs be the ones that we, we sing and think of? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's the biggest hit? Bridge Over Troubled Water. Bridge Over Troubled Water, which one of the most covered songs ever, which has you know, great versions by everybody, Elvis Presley, Aretha Franklin, everyone. But it's still Simon and Garfunkel's version of that that remains, I think, the most yeah. iconic version. But arguably, it's a cover. Simon wrote it and Garfunkel sings it. I think it's like maybe the only one in their whole canon that Simon didn't really sing on. Yeah. Right. It's right. their biggest ever hit. 
Maybe my vote for the greatest cover of all time. That's a technicality. That is a technicality. I don't know. <laughs> somebody like Stevie Wonder or somebody could have come along and done versions of these that would have been totally different and would have been more uh, vocally, musically acrobatic and stuff. But in a way, I think the Art Garfunkel, the harmony thing sort of cover proofed it in a way that their versions still remain the iconic versions. Aretha Franklin won Grammy for best R&B vocal performance for her cover of Bridge Over Troubled Water one year after it came out. There it is. Interesting. One year. There it is. One year later. When you're down When you're on the street When evening falls You've just you've just raised a really fascinating idea that Paul Simon, as great as he is, you're right. I can't think of a song of his where a cover version is more definitive than his version. Right? You just cracked the code, Greg. <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's it's an interesting side note, maybe. But uh, you know, I do think you guys got to do a version where, like, what's the best Beatles cover? Yeah. That's have a, you already grown into that? That is a no, but I have a thought of what the best Beatles cover is because actually we've talked in this episode already about uh, Joe Cocker's version of With a Little Help. I was going to say, friend. is it Joe Cocker's version? But I think actually maybe Stevie Wonder's version of We Can Work It Out. Try to see things my way Do I have to keep on talking till I can go on While you see it your way On the risk of knowing that our love may soon be gone I would definitely put that on an honorable mention. It may be my personal favorite, uh, just because I love Stevie Wonder so much. But I might also vote for Ray Charles, Eleanor Rigby. Oh, yeah. Mm. When he gets to the chorus and sings, they're all lonely people, uh, it'll, it'll give you chills. Right. I don't know how he does that as a man who had 12 children by nine women. <laughs> but when he claims to be lonely, <laughs> somehow you believe it. Well, Greg, this has been great and uh, so glad to have you on The Age Old Question. You are a scholar and a gentleman. It has been my great pleasure. It was very fun. Give Kelly and the family a big hug. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. See you, buddy. <laughs> nice work, Greg. I've got one. This was a song in 1973 for Roberta Flack. She won Grammy for Record of the Year and Best Female Pop Vocal Performance. The song is Killing Me Softly.
And that lyric was inspired by Lori Lieberman, who had apparently said that phrase talking about having just seen Don McLean in concert. Don <laughs> McLean of American Pie fame, who is strumming her pain with his fingers. Strumming my pain with his fingers, singing my life with his words, killing me softly with his song, killing me softly. But the Fuji's version from 1997 is, for me, the definitive version. Yep. They also won the Grammy that year, and it features Lauryn Hill on lead vocals, Wyclef's sort of interjections, yeah. a sample, Bonita Applebum uh, by A Tribe Called Quest. The hip-hop sampling is, is sort of a, a form of covering, right? right? So it's a cover in a cover. Double cover in a way. Yeah. Let's listen. Strumming my pain with his finger. Singing my life with his words. Killing me softly with this song. Killing me softly with this song. Both won the Grammy. Both won the Grammy. So that's another thing is what song has won a Grammy twice? Ooh. I wonder. The next one I want to talk about is I Will Always Love You, Mm. written by Dolly Parton. And this is a crazy song because it was originally recorded in 1973 by Dolly. It was number one in June of 1974. And then she re-recorded it again. It was number one again in October of 1982 because she recorded a version for the soundtrack of The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. So she got... Two number one hits with the same song. Wow. And two different re-recordings. If I should stay, I would only be in your way. So I'll go, but I know I'll think of you each step. Of the way. But then it doesn't end there. Then Whitney did it for the Bodyguard movie in 1992. It spent 14 weeks at number one and it charted again when she died in 2012. So that song, like, it was number one three times. How much money has Dolly Parton made from that song? Enough, enough. Enough to build a gajillion dollars. That's how you get Dolly World. But the Whitney version, our generation, that's the more definitive version. Yeah. Whitney is absolutely incredible. Absolutely. And the thing about Whitney is she's that good in real life. Like there's no auto tune. There's no, I, I believe she just goes into the booth and sings it once. And then, one time, you know, send me my paychecks, boys. I'm going to the hotel. If I should stay, I would only be in 
Key change. Let's talk about the key change. Key change. Maybe the greatest key change in all of... The greatest key change in the history of popular music. Could be. It's right up there. It is. And normally, I'm not a huge fan of the key change. But... Okay, a late entry from Greg Naughton. He just texted following our conversation and said, don't forget about Tennessee Whiskey. Ooh, yeah. Tennessee Whiskey was written by a pair of songwriters, Dean Dillon and Linda Hargrove. It's a country song first recorded by David Allen Coe in 1981, and then again by George Jones two years later. And what's interesting, Clint, about this song, as they do it, they do it in 4-4. Let's listen to George Jones' version. I used to spend my nights out in a bar room. So it's one, two, three, four. Liquor was the only love I'd known. By the way, George Jones has harmonica. But you rescued. So, Clint, we talked earlier in this episode about how Joe Cocker turned with a little help from my friends from 4 4 into 6 8 and totally changed the whole vibe of the song. Yep. When Chris Stapleton did Tennessee Whiskey for his record Traveler in 2015, he changes this country song that's 4-4 into 6-8 time. And there's something about the vibe and his performance and I think the time signature that makes this song one of my all-time favorite recordings. So instead of 4-4 four, four time, it's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. This is one of the few examples of changing the time signature that actually Changing the time works. signature. Used to spend my nights out in the ballroom Did the George version chart for this song? Actually, George Jones had a bigger hit than David Allen Coe. David Allen Coe got to number 77, and then George Jones got to number two. Okay. And then Chris Stapleton went six times platinum. Yeah, that's an evergreen. That'll always be there forever in the ethos. Have we talked about Carol King yet? No. I mean, Carol King is one of these songwriters, legendary songwriters, whose versions of songs don't really, I don't know them. Right. You've got a friend. You've got a friend. Mm. When you're down and troubled and you need some love and care and nothing. James Taylor is 
definitely his version is the the best known. He won a Grammy, I think 1971. He won a Grammy for best male pop vocal performance, and King won Song of the Year. So, hmm, that's cool. When you're down and trouble and you need a helping hand and nothing, well, nothing's going right. It's interesting that James Taylor is so known. This is maybe his biggest hit, and he's such a great songwriter, and yet his biggest hit is a cover. Isn't that funny? And soon I will be there to brighten up even your darkest night. All right, Clint, what is the best cover version of a song of all time? So what is it? I think it's Respect by Aretha Franklin. Boom. Respect was written by Otis Redding, recorded in 1965 for his third studio album, Otis Blue. He was only 23 years old, but he sounds like an old man. Totally. What you want, honey, you got it. And what you need, baby, you got it. All I'm asking when I come It's a great song. But as it's written and as Otis performs it, it's a song from a man's perspective in a man's world, expecting respect when he gets home from a hard day's work. But when Aretha sings it, the song's meaning is totally transformed, flipped on its head. It becomes a feminist anthem. Right. Two completely different meanings. She records her version in February 1967, seven months before Otis Redding dies in a plane crash at the age of 26. Aretha wins two Grammys for her version of this song, and it's her sisters, Carolyn and Irma, that are doing the background vocals, which I just absolutely love. I think this has to be the greatest cover version of a song. Incredible that a, a, a single lyric can mean two completely different things based on the delivery of the song. Totally. I've been just chatting with my brother-in-law, Joe, uh, about this podcast, and he's he's been just giving me all sorts of you know awesome tidbits. And so I asked him, I was like, what do you think the best cover version of all time is? This is what he sent back. Aretha, respect. What's that quote? Uh, the good artist borrows, the great artist steals. Something like that. And she didn't just reimagine an old standard that had been hanging around for years or even liberate a great song that had been ruined by a producer when it was first recorded. No. She broke into Fort Knox and stole a song that was being actively surveilled by the Otis Redding security system from right under his amazing, dynamic, insanely talented nose. It's the Brinks job, the Pink Panther, the Ocean Eleven of covers. Second reference to Ocean's Eleven, by the way. On one of his live recordings of Respect, he introduces it as a song. A song that a girl took away from me. Good friend of mine. 
So thank you, Joe. Thank you, Joe. That was great. I think we did it, Clint. I think we did it again, Rich. I think we I think we we did it again. Man. So join us next time when we answer another age-old question. Follow us on Instagram at the age old question. Facebook, the age old question. We hope this conversation has sparked some ideas and thoughts of your own. Let us know in the comments. But let's be kind, people. Yeah. No hating. No hating. Also, if you're digging the podcast, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash the age old question and consider becoming a part of our age old question family. With your support, we'll be able to answer many more age-old questions. Thanks.